Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest with us today on the I Drink From Skulls podcast. He puts stealth into your wealth. He drops splash into your cash flow. He's a father, founder, and CEO. Welcome, Mr. Neil Gibb. Thank you, Matt. We got there. We got there. How are you, brother? I'm doing good, my man. How are you? I'm really good. Very good, thank you. That's the way. Ah, let's go. I drink from skulls. Drink from the skulls of my enemies. Now, I can hear that a little bit, your accent's a little bit different to mine, but you are based in Australia. So who is Neil? Well, I am based in Perth right now, but uh, originally born in the UK, born in a small town called Middlesbrough, which if I can compare it with any sort of town in Australia, it would be like a, like a mining town, like a Port Hedland or a Gladstone or something like that. Just a small town where everybody just works hard and then goes to the pub on the weekend and drinks all weekend and then goes back to work on Monday. And there's nobody really in that town that says you need to work smarter, not harder. It's just, just work harder and then go for a beer afterwards. So when I came to Australia, I had zero business experience. The only experience in real estate that I had was um, I was an electrician and I was the guy that people used to call when they wanted stuff doing on the properties that they owned. So I used to do like house rewires, downlight installations, uh, extra GPOs at PowerPoint, all that type of stuff. I was quite handy with with my, my tools. So I was putting kitchens in for people on a weekend and doing bathrooms with, with my father-in-law. So I, I knew how to renovate properties. I just didn't know how to commercialize it. So you were doing renos just for your benefit. Most of our audience are contractors, home improvement guys, uh, all looking to get into the space. Uh, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of crossover and benefit for you sharing your knowledge and stuff like that. So you were doing that. Then what happened? Like, where, where did you go next? When I came to Australia, I was, it was in 2010, I was 27 and I was an electrician. I already had my license. Um, I was under 30 and I got a job working as a, a, a laborer or a trader, uh, an apprentices, sorry, not a trade assistant working with electricians because my license wasn't unrestricted like it was later on. So I was essentially supporting other electricians in their role. And then I applied for my visa and because I was in the country, and I was under 30 and I was working. My permanent residency got ex- got um, approved within two weeks of lodging, which was, I'd never heard of one getting approved so fast. Yeah. Um, so that was that was great. Before I left the country though, before I left the UK, my mum remarried this guy called Peter Mitchell. He was my stepdad. Um, he's been in my life since I was about 10 year old now. And he was a plumber and he used to always say, get yourself a trade son because you can work all over the world. As long as you've got a trade ticket, you can work anywhere. So I always had this this vision in my head of working in Australia, and I because I was an electrician, the sort of highest paying role you can get as an electrician was working offshore on a on a rig or a platform. Um, so that was my that was my kind of goal in the back of my mind. It was never written down, but I just in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to get my visa, and then I want to go up north, and then I want to get offshore, and then then I'm at the pinnacle of my career. And two and a half years after getting my visa approved, I was working offshore on the Gorgon project. Sorry, I was working on the Wheatstone project and I was earning pretty good money. It was like 300 grand a year, working two two weeks on, two weeks off. And I remember standing on that platform and I was just looking out at the horizon. There's just nothing there apart from ocean and sky. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is everything I've ever dreamed of. And I remember standing there thinking, I'm just nowhere near feeling like I was supposed to feel at this moment. I was expecting fireworks to be going off and those to be flying around and stuff like that, and, you know, like what, like it would be in the movies. I actually just felt a little bit disheartened that I'd reached that point in my career and it just didn't feel like I expected it to feel. 
Yeah. At the same time, my my partner moved over, who Joe and I have been together for almost 20 years now, but we split up when I came to Australia. And then I went back to the UK, we caught up, and then she came over here, and she loved Australia, so we decided to get back together, which I'm very grateful for, that she took the risk and moved back to Australia, or moved to Australia. And then we got married. This time, I was still working offshore, so one day I was driving to the airport, and she was dropping me off, and she started crying. And I was thinking, why are you crying? going back to work but then she said you know you're away for two weeks i'm over here on my own you know how long are you going to be doing this for they kind of hit me so we decided to start looking into the one thing that we were both pretty passionate about joe's dad was a builder back in the uk so we started looking into real estate and how we could um, actually make some money from it because we both had a certain skill set i was you know handy with my hands and joe was really good at making things look or making rooms and houses look really good by styling them in certain ways so yeah right yeah, that's how it all started. Yeah, well. So how long were you like you're you're offshore, two weeks on, two weeks off, big big cash for a um guess an individual sort of earner. But you really do earn that money too. Like it's two weeks on and they're what are they, twelve, fourteen nowadays plus? Twelve hour days, yeah. But yeah, you're, you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't go anywhere, you can't drink. The the conditions are pretty tough out there, you know, it's hot, it's humid. Sometimes you're sharing rooms with two or three other guys as well, which is an experience that not many people should need to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're helicoptering in and out of these uh, these places as well, and, you know, they're probably not the safest things to be going backwards and forwards on. So you definitely get paid for the conditions and the risk that's associated with it. You know, if, if something goes wrong out there, you don't really get a second chance. There's been some pretty bad disasters over the years with some platforms like the uh, Piper Alpha platform, which exploded. You know, these things go wrong and it's game over. So you definitely get a bit of risk money in there as well. But for me, it wasn't a long-term thing, especially after I've seen Joe start to cry like that on the way to the airport. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people do get stuck in that lifestyle and they just do fly and fly out. The 55, 60-year-old now. Yeah. But they they know nothing else. It's just become their life. Yeah. And how long did you... You know, you made that decision to exit out. How long did it take you to sort of get out and start doing something different and get into property? So when I was on Wheatstone, I um, on on my two weeks off, I went to a seminar with a lady called Dimna Boholt, who runs a um, education course called I Love Real Estate, and it was a game changer. She, this lady stood on stage, and in two hours, she literally told us how to profit from the skill set that we had. Profit from the skill set that we had by renovating properties or building properties, subdividing land and building properties on the back. So we paid the $4,000, which it was then, to join that course, and um, we started doing some renovations. And I think the important thing to note on this bit is a lot of people think I came offshore and I had just bags of cash left over. Um, but I actually didn't, because at that time, I'd done no personal development. I had a really bad... Um, relationship with money and I was spending it faster than I was earning it so even though I was earning 300 grand I was spending 320 grand a year very normal in that lifestyle yep very normal well when I actually embarked on this property career that we've ended up having now I was actually $70,000 in the tax debt and I had $25,000 on a credit card as well well so you're a bit of a hole there I'm taking it that you're sharing that because some people would say I'm, I can't get started. I can't do something with property because I don't have money or I haven't planned for it. Is that right? Is that like, is that sort of? Yeah. And I think some people have commented on Facebook before on some of my social media posts and said, oh, it's all right for you. You left the oil and gas industry with 
you know, money behind you and stuff like that. When the reality was that I actually didn't, I exited that industry further behind than I was when I entered it. But joining that right course and speaking with the right people, uh, we ended up doing some joint ventures. We were the working party where we'd find a, a property that needed work doing to it. And we'd put the, the sweat equity into it. But we got somebody else to put the actual capital into the deal. And we give them you know, 15 to 20% return on their investment. So if they put 100 grand in, they would get 120 back at the end of the project. Worked quite well for them. Worked well for us because we got access to money that we didn't have. Um, so we went out, we started doing renovation, renovation. We were making 25, 30, 40 grand a pop in each one of these. And it wasn't long before we pulled ourselves back out of the hole that we were in. And then we reinvested some of that money that we made back into more education. Uh, and to date, I've probably spent about $150,000 on personal development and education components. And I'll continue to spend money on it as well now because the return from that 150 grand has just been insane. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. The same sort of thing. And um, yeah, the ROI is infinite essentially. So that's really cool to share. And that's it. I love that you shared that, that you like, okay, so on paper and if we're looking at bank accounts when I'm starting and I'm just putting myself in your shoes there, you're in the negative, but you've got skills. You've got things that people need. You've got things you can create value. You have to provide the sweat. You have to put the sweat equity in to make something happen. So you made a plan to get out of where you were to, to start moving forward. That's something that's it's really important to share that because a lot of people think they're stuck or maybe they're not they're not willing to put in the sweat equity or maybe they just never thought about it, but they do have some skills there that they can leverage. And is that something you came across, you know, that seminar that you went to? I actually heard it on a, it was a Tony Robbins podcast that was like a massive slap in the face. And Tony said, a lot of people blame the lack of resources, the lack of resourcefulness, which stops people from moving forward. And that, that still rings in my head every single day now that I come up against a problem. I'm like, what do we need to do to solve this problem? Or you could just stay stuck where you were and never make any changes and never move forward at all. So I think that's really important and um, a great nugget for people that are listening along. Is that, is that advice that you give or like when people come to you with their differing scenarios? Right now we work with various different clients. Uh, everybody's situation is totally unique to them as well. I've never met two clients that are exactly the same. And I've done some one-on-one coaching with a few people as well to help them through certain property deals. I've got this little old lady who's uh, coming up to retirement. She's like 62, 63. And she heard me say one, one day, you know, if you sit on the fence, all you do is get splinters in your bum. She ran me up the next day. She said, I'm not going to be one of them people that get splinters in my bum. What does it take to work with you? So um, we're working with this lady at the minute and she is... She was in a pretty fortunate position that she owned some properties that were almost unencumbered with no mortgage on them, but they weren't providing the cash flow that she needed to retire. Um, so we've ended up knocking one of these properties down and we're going to build two new HMOs on it. And the back end of that, she's going to be earning $60,000 a year after all expenses. That's amazing. She keeps thanking me, but I'm just telling her what I do. She's the one taking the action. She's the one without getting the a bum. Yeah, I love that. That's my favorite saying, I reckon. I love it. Let's talk about, um, you know, after you did a handful of renos, created some cash, got some equity, some you know, got some runs on the board. Like, how did you then start the company? How did you know? Okay, I'm really good at this stuff. I'm going to make it into something. What happened next? Yeah, we um, we were doing renovation after renovation after renovation, and I suppose there's two types of investments you can make. There's like passive, where you put your money in and you sit back, and it just produces a cash flow. Or there's the type of reno- there's a type of investment that requires you to be hands-on constantly and renovations and property development is one of them things. 
and I wanted to get out of the oil and gas industry. So we we needed to start looking at ways that we could create investments that produce enough cash flow so that I could step away from my work. And then we didn't know what we were going to build. The main goal was just to just produce enough cash flow from our portfolio so that I could step away from work and then focus on property full time. Like I said earlier, from the money we we're making from our renovations, we were reinvesting that back into other courses. And we did a course that was specifically tailored around creating HMOs, which is house of multiple occupancy, which is a UK term from the UK. And we'd seen UKs work really well back there. And a few of my friends actually had them in their portfolios and were constantly talking about the cash flow that they produce. Um, so when we met this guy called Ian Ugardier, he had a course that we again paid $4,000 for. Uh, and we did our first property. We actually converted the house that we lived in into our, into our first HMO. And uh, we had no idea if this thing was going to work. So what we did to kind of cover our asses was moved in with the mother-in-law, which was interesting. And whilst we lived with the mother-in-law, we, we converted this property and we rented the rooms out individually. And then when we rented the rooms out, we then knew there was enough demand in that area. And then we rented our own place and um, moved a lot closer to the city because we both had jobs in the city at the time. Your, your own case study. That's... Um... Anyone's put their balls on the line to make it work, it's yourself. Jeez, I love that. Well, then, yeah, after that first one, we went out and did a few more properties. We ended up with six that were, that were producing over $100,000 a year in cash flow. We didn't own all of them properties. What we were doing is um, we were going out and finding someone with a five-bedroom, three-bathroom house, for instance, and we would take a five-year lease over that property at market rent. So one in particular property, we rented it for $470 a week. Um, we put some smoke alarms in it, so it fitted the model that we were doing in the HMO space. Uh, we put a furniture pack in there, and then we rented that property out for $1,020 a week. After all expenses, we were making like 350 bucks a week from that one property. And then there was another one in uh, in Fremantle that we did. That was a six-bedroom, six-bathroom. It was a HMO that we were that, – that was our model. This is what our models turned into. But for some reason, this property manager could not rent all of the rooms out in this property. So we ended up renting the property. It was on the market for $1,050 a week. We we went in with 900 bucks a week. They rejected the offer and we just weren't comfortable going any higher. So we kind of stepped back from the property and then we seen it drop from 1050 to 900 to 850 And we ended up securing that one on a three-year lease for $800 a week. And we rented it out for... Uh, one thousand five hundred a week. So, that one property alone netted us twenty seven thousand dollars a year cash flow. Beautiful. So we, like you say, we ended up with hundred thousand dollars a year of of income off these properties that we caught, controlled and purchased ourselves. And with the power of social media and just dropping it into my personal page and some other little Facebook pages that we've been part of, people started asking us to help them. And um, before we knew it, we had two or three clients. That was never planned to happen. You know, we, we always just focused on replacing our own income. We had two or three clients and then we had our own properties, which ended up being six. And then we had the other two. So all of a sudden we had eight properties, six tenants in each. We ended up with like almost 40, 50 tenants. And we were like, shit, we're going to have to set up a property management business here because properties were scattered all over Western Australia, scattered all over Perth. Perth is one of the most spread out cities ever. So, you know, the journey between one of these properties might have been 45, 60 minutes. Yeah. So we set up a property management business and we hired a property manager who ended up being the mother-in-law, cheap labor. 
we basically she she started managing these properties for us and then with the power of social media before we knew it we had 10 under management then we had 15 then we had 20 uh to date we've done 109 hmos and we've got we brought over 600 rooms to the market but we've got another 50 hmos in our pipeline right now uh and they're either under renovation or under construction and then we also sort of split into the disability accommodation market as well so we've got 60 special disability accommodation units under construction right now so 107 107 clients in the pipeline <clears throat> and this started in 2016 2017 and to where we are now 50 i think it's 58 million dollars worth of construction in the ground at the minute wow you're a busy man love that we had no idea it was going to end up being like this but it just went and went and went that's awesome and that's i appreciate you sharing that the you know wealth through creating wealth and cash flow through properties probably the best or it'd have to be one of the best ways to do it but like marketers and and things like that the the industry has attracted some of the wrong sort of people what are the, what do you see versus like the way you do it versus how you know some of these people that they're, they're charlatans they do seminars they take people's money and that's what it's really about what, do you, what can people be aware of? And then as a second question, like how are you guys different? I'd love to hear like, you know, that sort of things. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because some of these courses, um, as, as the courses that you mentioned there, and I've seen some people refer to these people as the East Coast Spruikers, as well, obviously in the West. So it's like, oh, the East Coast Spruikers have been over spruiking the courses again. But I have made a lot of money by joining these courses and implementing the, the, core, the, the information from them courses as well so i've got nothing but good words to say about them um it's when people are running a course but then they've also got the product to sell you at the back end as well that's the that's the bit that i'm just not as comfortable with at the minute but you know for for a long time the industry the real estate industry or the investment area of the real estate industry has been geared towards minimizing your tax by investing in properties at a negative cash flow which means historically you need to put money into that property every single week, which means at the end of the year you've made a loss and then you can claim that loss back as a tax deduction. And that's great if you are earning a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year, but that tax deduction only works if you're working. So if you've got a job, um, you can only claim that tax deduction back. The minute you lose your job, if you're sick or you just get the sack or whatever, then properties still require you to top that money up constantly. And if you have got no income, it's going to run out pretty fast. What we do differently is we invest in properties that produce cash flow from day one. Yeah. So instead of taking money out of your pocket, put money in your pocket. And that way, you know, we got to six properties and $100,000 a year cash flow. I would not have been able to leave my job and focus on building this business if all of them properties were negatively geared. It really depends on the individual and what they're trying to achieve. Negative gearing has probably still got a place in the market, but when interest rates are the way they are at the minute, I'd much prefer my portfolio to be positively geared than negatively geared and just losing an absolute fortune right now. I guess that comes back to having the right conversation with the right people about strategy. Because even if negative gearing is technically the right play, which I think in this day and age is probably not, but I won't get into that. But you're going to be capped out. Even on great income, you're going to be capped out. What's the, the three properties is normally as many as most people can get stuck at before they can't literally can't lend anymore or, or things like that. So, however, they have the right conversation. Yeah, only one percent of property investors own more than six properties. One percent, 
basically because like you said there, Matt, a lot of them get tapped out because every time you have a negatively geared property, it reduces your income. Yeah. So if you buy, if you want to earn a hundred thousand dollars a year and you're $10,000 a year negatively geared, then the bank sees you as only earning 90 grand a year because you've committed 10 grand to prop that other property up. You buy another 10,000, uh, another property that's 10K negative, and all of a sudden the bank sees that you're only earning $80,000 a year, so you can earn less money. Or the, the professional property investors are the ones that go out there and buy properties that produce positive cash flow so that their income increases so that they can continue to borrow. And they also structure themselves in a, in a, in a certain way as well. So a lot of property investors that have positive cash flow real estate or properties, whether that's commercial, industrial, special disability accommodation, HMO, whatever it be, you would very rarely see any of them investors owning real estate in their own name. Yeah. They have specific trust structures, which give them asset protection, but also help them minimize tax and then build long-term generational wealth for themselves and their families. Yeah. I love that play. That's how we roll. Buy the properties, our one business releases it back and it's pretty cool. But yeah, getting that, I think it's all about speaking to the right person because someone might go into a negative gearing situation just because of the, you know, it's been pitched to them by a quote unquote expert, sounds good, feels good. But if they don't get the right perspective and that perspective might be as simple as, you know, what are, you, are your goals? What, what are your goals? Do you want to work forever? Like, do you want to leave something that produces income that you, you know, you don't have to work like? Just having that right conversation with someone who's actually done it, I think, is so powerful for people. And then, yeah, surrounding yourself with that right team as well. Yeah, like we call it the A team because nobody's self-made in this game. Everybody's got a team around them to some degree. Uh, and in the real estate game, you know, you need brokers, accountants, a good legal practitioner who can help you with, you know, trust structure setups and stuff like that. You need town planners, valuers, like the team around us right now. Uh, and myself in general, I've got 16 people full-time that work for me now. But then when we look at the contractors that also support the business as well, it'd be, you know, 150 to 200 people all up, I'd say. Wow, yeah. No doubt you'll learn a thing or two with um, doing as much property as you have, going through different people and things like that. What would you say to someone who's like, you know, they know they want to do something, they don't really know what it is. Like, where where would they get started? How would the, what would the conversation look like? I'd say it, a lot of the conversations I have with property investors is, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve by investing in real estate? Because once we know what you want to do and why you want to do it, then the how and what becomes a lot easier. Yeah. So if your goal, and I'm guessing we've got a lot of business owners that listen to this podcast, Matt. So if their goal is to create financial freedom or create another side hustle because they're already business-minded to some degree. So obviously you can't run a business at a loss. So why would you run your property portfolio at a loss? Yeah. So if you've got a business which is profitable, then why not take some of that profit and invest it into real estate? And that real estate can return you know, 5 to 10% cash-on-cash return every year. And while it's giving you a cash-on-cash return, it's also going up in value as well. So you're getting, we call it the double-edged feather because it's not a double-edged sword. You're getting capital growth and you're getting a return on your cash as well. So it just, for me, it doesn't get any better. You know, if anything does go wrong and you need money back in your business, then, you you know, it takes you a few months to liquidate that property and then you can move the property or you can move the cash back into your business if need be. But once you've got them multiple streams of income from your business and from multiple different properties, life becomes a little bit easier. That's right. That's, it's a, you're, you're on the money. Most of the people that will watch this are a business owner. And for the most part, they'll be a business owner that as it stands, it heavily, it's heavily reliant on themselves, which, you know, there's a lot of talk of 
you know, build your business, replace yourself, da 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 da. But maybe that's not what it's, it's all about. I know for myself and my wife, Katie, we're heavy hands on in the business, heavy, like high cash flow. So for us, we're like, okay, well, what else could we do? What else could we do to protect ourselves? And the answer is property to hedge against what if something happens with the business, just putting the right things in play for our goals. So I think a lot of people will, will resonate with that. Once they understand their goals, do you then look at what they've currently got to get some more leverage or like, how do you approach it there? Investors reach out to us at all different stages of their investment journey. Um, we could be speaking to first-time investors, right through to people that have got two or three properties in their portfolio, and then we work with some high net worth individuals as well, some extremely wealthy people. Don't necessarily need to invest, but want to invest in the ty- type of product that we bring to the market because it's got some social impact in there as well, um, and they get a financial return at the same time as well. So yeah, we the first step is we talk to them about what are your goals, what are you trying to achieve, how do you how do you want to achieve it, um, how do you make up mind if, it, if a good opportunity is a good opportunity or not and what sort of return would you be looking for on your capital and then once we kind of know that we know if they want to be looking at HMO disability accommodation and then we can take them on that journey and show them some of the examples that we've achieved for some of our other clients and right now you know construction prices have gone almost doubled over the last two years insane how much they've gone up but our properties are still producing a return for our investors and you can sit these things at principal and interest as well if some of the people are a little bit more risk averse than others and depending on where they're at in that journey as well some of the younger people that we work with they like to sit their portfolios at interest only so that it can produce as much cash flow as possible to then leverage that into more properties or they want to replace their income and use that cash flow to live off um, so they don't have to work anymore and then we have the older generation and this is generally like the 50 to 55 ish plus age uh-huh. They like to sit everything at principal and interest so that they're paying down debt so that when they retire, their portfolio is sitting at like a 40 or 50% LBR, which reduces the risk massively for them and also increases the cash flow as well. You mentioned social impact there, and I want to dig in a little bit more kind of about like what makes your business different. How are you keeping your ever-growing staff and team motivated? Because it's like a, it's a crazy time to employ people right now in any industry, in any country to speak to people all over the world. And they all say the same thing. So is there something that you guys are doing different? Like talk to me about social impact and what, you know, what you're doing to help keep people on on in line for the like the business, the vision and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. So as I mentioned earlier, I've spent a lot of money on personal development and that's personal and business. And every time I come up against an obstacle in my life or something that I'm just not as good as that I should be as good as. I look for a coach or a mentor and I pay them to get me through this. I, I met you through Ryan Tuckwood. We've both been learning how to increase our sales conversions. We have forexed our sales conversions since I started working with Ryan. Absolutely insane. But prior to working with Ryan, um, I met a lady called Anna Samios, who's actually part of Ryan's organization. Yeah. And I met Anna through Kim Barrett's mastermind. So sorry if all these, if your listeners don't understand who all these people are, but um, me and myself, uh, myself and Matt know a lot of very similar people. Yeah. So I went to Kim Barrett's mastermind. I seen Anna Samios speak and I looked up who Anna Samios was and that led me on to Vern Harnish who wrote the book Scaling Up. And Scaling Up was just like a, another game changer for me. I read the book front to back maybe five or six times and then we started imp- implementing the, the things into the business. Uh, and one of the main things we did is we set the purpose, the vision and the mission and our purpose is to help people, whether that's investors, whether that is... Um, tenants that need accommodation or anybody that needs our help, if we can help them, we'll try our best to help them. 
So I want everybody to come to work knowing that we are here to help. If someone's got a problem, then it's our job to try and help them. Our vision is a world where everybody has access to housing because we live in Australia, which is probably the best country in the world. I would say it definitely is the best country in the world. Yet we've got people sleeping in the streets, sleeping in the cars, sleeping on sofas because they can't get access to housing. A, because they either don't earn enough money themselves or B, because there's just no housing for them to access right now. The housing market is upside down and it's absolutely on its knees. Housing should be a basic human need that everybody has access to because you know, it's, with housing, people can do so much more. Uh, what I learned probably two years ago, without a house, without a fixed address, people can't actually get a job because they can't put an address on their job application. So they end up in this spiral of trying to get out of it and falling back into it and trying to get out of it. Well, these are good people. Like some of these people have jobs and just um, the circumstances change or they just can't get housing. So we really think that we should be seeing a world where everybody has access to housing. Yeah. And our mission for the business is to provide 10,000 rooms to the market by 2031. So that's our kind of North Star. Everybody in the business knows where they're going. Um, and from the Scaling Up book, at the start of every year, we we reflect over what we achieved in the last 12 months. And then we project what we want to do in the next 12 months, which is tied into our big goal of 10,000 rooms in 10 years. We kind of broke it down it at five years, three years, one year. And then we say... What do we want to do in the next 90 days? And we break it up into the different parts of the business. So construction, sales, marketing, and property management and operations. We break it up into five. And then for and then 90 days, we set everybody a task for the 90 days, which ties into their goals over the next 90 days as well. Um, so that's on top of everybody's general job role that they've been brought in to do. So everybody's nice and busy, there's lots to do, but they all feel like they are part of the growth. And I hope they do feel like that too, because we're pretty close-knit group so that's how we kind of keep everyone focused and fixated and heading in the same direction as well that applies to any business anyone in the world if you don't have a model to run your business on or you just kind of winging it the book's scaling up getting getting in deep and dirty with that or the other one i love is traction there's some similarities in both they're both very good scaling up's probably the next level like it's got it's got more in it but either one it's a model that you could if you were serious, you could you could pick it up, read, implement, and have success running a business the way it's supposed to be run. It's a proven model countless times over. And you re- realistically, when did you implement that? That had been the last few years, really. Yes, probably three years ago. Three ago, yeah, yeah. So we'd be two two years ago. So you can have big success with it quickly if you're willing to do the work. It's a yeah, highly recommend that. So. And that's the other thing. Whilst people might not know all, all the people mentioned, the principle applies to anywhere in the world. Connections, being in the right room with the right people, learning the one thing that you might not have known, connecting with the one person you didn't know was there has helped skyrocket the business. So I think that applies to anyone. It's just that you were willing to invest in yourself and, and to see that growth and that trajectory and then to have it all aligned to the to the one vision and one mission is super cool to see. Yeah, I think um, once you've got your purpose, your vision, and your mission, you know, when I first seen or heard of it, I was like, oh, that's a bit cheesy. Yeah. Um, but it helps in so many areas, especially when you're hiring people as well. So when you sit down and you tell them what your, your purpose, your vision, your mission, your values, and your business are, and they see them getting excited, then that's pretty cool as well. And one guy that I, I recently started working with, uh, he's originally from London. He's a West Ham fan, so I don't hold that against him. But um, 
I put an advert on Seek. I was looking for some sales reps to come and join us. And uh, Danny reached out to me and he said he was a little bit jet lagged, so his email didn't make too much sense. But he, the nuts and bolts were like, I can't believe you're doing HMOs in Perth. I've just landed back in Perth. I've been back in London for five years, just been transacting on some large HMO transactions with banks buying 100 plus properties and then releasing them back to the to the government or the council. Let's chat more. Yeah, well, so I had a chat with him. Um, when he got over his jet lag, he came in the office and um, I said, look, this is where we're taking the business, 10,000 rooms in 10 years. And he goes, whoa. He goes, I've got some people that I think we can speak to on this. And bearing in mind, this guy back in the UK, super connected with like family offices and high net worth individuals, uh, charities and um, pension funds as well. So he started getting on the phone to all these guys and... Um, just Friday, so it's the 24th of July now, so it's Friday just gone. We just got off the phone to, or a Zoom call to a charity back in the UK who have committed to building between 200 and 250 houses with us over the next 18 months, and they want us to get, they want us to start in the next 30 days. <clears throat> now, it's an incredible outcome, the impact that we're going to have on the housing market with that, with that amount of housing, because in each house that we build, we're housing five or six people at a time, so... 250 times 6, 1,250 people. Did that math pretty fast there, is it? Um, so the impact that we can have there is is incredible. But we would never have had that impact if I couldn't tell Danny what the purpose, the vision, the mission, the values of the business were. And straight away it made him think and he went off and he just started doing what he was doing. So it definitely helps keeping everybody focused and um, keeping everyone heading in the same direction because I don't know about you, Matt, but once you start getting a certain level of success, opportunities start to appear everywhere. And it's like uh, the shiny silver object syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. If you've got that purpose, vision, and mission, then even if you do get distracted slightly for a few weeks or days or months or whatever, you can come back and look at your target and head back towards it. Yeah, that's so powerful. Having that so dialed in and, and having it extremely clear, uh, th these types of opportunities, you know, your eyes are open to them. And then that connection, uh, the rest is, uh, will be in the history books. So that's really cool to see, my man. And how's the team sort of received that? They must be super pumped up. Uh, yeah. So every Monday morning, we have a, a team meeting. So we all sit in the boardroom. All of the team get in there and we, we bring in anybody that's not in the country. So we've got some VAs over in the Philippines who are just incredible people to work with. Such a happy bunch. So grateful for the opportunities to work with us. So we Zoom them in every Monday morning and we go around the table and we go through wins and victories. And it can be a business win or a personal win. And I, I normally go last because I like to just get everybody else to get their wins and victories out. But this morning I came out with my win and victory, which was obviously securing that contract with the charity back in the UK to build that many houses. So to put it into context, we've We've done 109 already. We've got 107 properties in the pipeline coming through. And these guys are going to come and do 200 to 250 properties with us. So with what we've got on the rent roll now, we'll double in the next 12 months when we finish all them properties. And then these guys will double that rent roll again with the amount of properties they're going to do in the in month. That's, uh, that's a whole lot of action right there. Super excited for you. Not quite sure how we're going to pull it off yet, mate. But um, Richard Branson says, if someone offers you an opportunity that's good, too good to let go, say yes and then work out how we do it later on. Just in your sphere of influence and network, people like Anna Samuels and Ryan Tuckwood, no doubt they'll help build the, put the right people in the right place. Yeah, we'll be leaning on some of them connections, absolutely. Mate, you've been fantastic today. Is there is there a question I should have asked you but didn't? Probably quite a few, to be fair, but it, I think a lot of people, um, and I, I have this conversation with Ryan quite a bit, so I've just had, um, just had a little baby boy back in um, December 
the seven month old now. And a lot of people ask me how I get balance in my life. Like, how are you, how are you juggling all this? How are you coming to work? How are you still going to the gym? How are you managing that? So I think that's a, a good question to be asked. How do you put it together? So a guy that I used to listen to in the in the UK, who's been a, a very important part of my journey, it's a guy called Rob Moore, who was called the Disruptive Entrepreneur. Never met the guy, never done any of his courses. All I've done is listen to his podcast and read his books. Like, um, he's very responsible. I'd say he's 50% responsible for where we are right now without actually meeting him, which is quite powerful. And in one of his books, he talks about the rocks, the pebbles and the sand principle. Yeah, uh, someone puts the rocks in a jar and he says how much space is left and they say none and then he pours the pebbles in and they fill the gaps around the, the rocks and then he says how much uh, space is left now and they say none and then he pours the sand in and the sand surrounds everything else. So he talks about the rocks being your, your personal life, you know, your wife, your kids, the things outside of business and then he talks about the pebbles being the business and the important things within that business. And then the sands, all the other shit that just fills up your time if you don't have them other things in place. So what I do at the start of every year with my wife, before we do the business stuff, as I sit down with my wife and we reflect over what we've achieved in the last 12 months as a couple, and then we, we wipe our diaries clean and we put in the most important things in our diary so that my, I need my wife to know that she's more important than this business because she is. Yeah. So we put in a holiday every 90 days and whether that's just like a four or five day break or whether we go overseas it's just something in there that gets us out of the business because my wife works in the business as well in the property management side of things every 90 days we take a, a minimum four to five day break or if it's the middle of the year we might go away for two or three weeks then we book in date night once a week as well and then at the end of every month there's a certain part of date night where we ask, ask each other certain questions I haven't got the questions on me right now. They're actually in my notes folder on my phone. But we go through the questions and it, they're really good questions that get good conversation going. But you can also kind of understand where each other are sitting in the in the relationship. What ma- what's made you anxious? What are you proud of? What are your goals for the next for the next uh, four weeks? So we do all that stuff. After I've got their most important things in and I know they're happening on certain times, then I'll start blocking out business stuff around that as well. And then I just leave the rest of it free for just all this, the sand to fill up as well. But that's how I kind of balance my life at the minute and it's working pretty well that's great my man we have a very similar approach it's not it's not perfect and it will never be perfect but we're doing our version of it as best we can and it's uh, a lot better than if you didn't do it hey that's it that's it awesome man where can people find you how can they connect with you how can they get more information social media and like it's been a big part of our business growth so you can just search me neil gibb uh, the business, the HMO Property Co podcast, the HMO Property Show, which is on YouTube and all the normal podcast channels. I'm on LinkedIn. I never really use it. It's the team that do that for me. Uh, and Instagram probably should up my Instagram game, but I'm not as Facebook's my main one. So if you want me, just contact me on Facebook. It's probably the best place. Nice. Through your personal, like just Neil Gibb or through the page? Yeah, look me up, Neil Gibb, the HMO Property Co page. The, the team run that, so you'll probably end up speaking to somebody from the team. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, my man. You've absolutely crushed it. You've drunk from some skulls. And uh, I sure to appreciate having you on. Appreciate you, Matt. Thank you, man. All righty. That's it from us. Cheers.